Hey, welcome. This is uh, My Teeth Need Attention. I'm Joe, your host. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, back from a little hiatus. Had a vacation uh, last week and then the week or so before that, it's always hectic trying to get ready for a vacation and get work done. So um, if you were waiting, I'm sorry. <laughs> I intended to get this uh, episode out before vacation, but it never happened. So anyway, today's episode is going to feature an interview I did with Bill Nace uh, about a month ago. Uh, Bill's a great uh, experimental guitar player, collaborator, all-around really nice dude. Uh, so we talked about uh, him growing up and uh, getting into playing and dudes he was playing with. Various collaborations he's done with, uh, you know, like Corsano and Samar Lebowski, who you're hearing in the background here with him. Uh, Twig Harper, what else? Graham Lampkin we talk about, Susan Alcorn, uh, his label Open Mouth, some plans he has. I noticed uh, some touring that was just announced that I don't think he knew about or could, could talk about during the interview. So I'll talk about that uh, a little bit. So yeah, we're listening to uh, Bill and Samara Lebowski right now, and then we're going to listen to a 7-inch he did with Sandy Ewan. Uh, then we'll get into the interview, and then after the interview, we'll get into some body head and 7-inch uh, he did with Chick White, Graham Lampkin collaboration. Yeah, we'll see what else I can sneak in here. So thanks for tuning in. Again, you're listening to My Teeth Need Attention. You can find us at myteethneedattention.com. There's links there for the various podcast platforms and our Instagram handle, which is the same thing, and Patreon. So thanks for tuning in. I want to thank uh, Bill for giving the interview. He's just a great guy. Haven't seen him in a while, so it was good to talk to him. And uh, let's get into the music. All right. Thank you. 
Yeah, I want to welcome uh, Bill Nace to the podcast. The podcast is called uh, My Teeth Need Attention. Uh, Bill's been playing music since the early 2000s, from what I could tell. Maybe uh, before that? No, no. Yeah, I mean, I started in high school, but uh, that's kind of when I started, I guess, releasing stuff. I hadn't really, you know, we'd done like some homemade tapes and shit before that, but I guess that's more when I started kind of releasing things and, and kind of touring more. Or when touring even became like something that I thought of doing. Yeah. So where yeah. did you uh, where did you grow up? I grew up in New Jersey. Like uh, my family, my family on both sides is from Philly, and then I grew up in Jersey, like twenty minutes away. Um. So Philly was kind of where. Well, it was a weird. Like Philly was where I would come. At the time, there weren't a ton of all ages shows, so there were like one or two spots to go see stuff. But then, uh, you know, like. There was a great spot here called Upstairs at Nick's and Kyber Pass. And I used to miss shows there all the time when I was in high school. Kyber Pass. I remember hearing about Kyber Pass. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'd be yeah, so bummed. But yeah. there was another great place called The Troc, Trocadero, and they had all ages shows. But that, that was like a little bigger, not huge, but just a little, you know, slightly bigger bands would, would come through there. Um, so I would come here to go record shopping and, and see shows and stuff, but it was still... Jersey was, you know, on its, you know, getting around when you're a kid is tough, but Jersey on its own is just, was such a, at least where I was living was such a kind of cultural wasteland. Yeah. Were you near Princeton at all? Or like, did you yeah, have I used to go to record exchange? Yeah. I used to go to record exchange for sure. Okay. And, and that was, I mean, yeah, that was great. Like um, the U section there was great and it was usually pretty, pretty cheap. So yeah, I would, I would go there a lot. And the the that radio station like changed my life for sure. Like oh PR, yeah, PRB. Yeah, PR, right? yeah, I used to just yeah. drive around and listen to that, and they had like a concert calendar thing. Um, they would come on at like three thirty, so we'd listen like on the way home from from school, and then just be like you know writing shit down. So that that was like PRB was huge. Yeah, Nuge grew up in that area, so he would talk about when I met him. Oh, I didn't we, know that. Yeah, we met in our at RT, but he grew up in Jackson, in New Jersey. Yeah. Over by a great adventure, I think. And yeah, yeah. Yeah, around that area. Yeah, so he uh his, and he has an older brother who they were kind of already into interesting music from having that, some having PRB and you know yeah. New, York, New York uh exposure and stuff like that. I grew up in Scranton PA, uh where I had no exposure to anything <laughs> yeah. for the longest time until I got into high school and my boss got me into music. Oh yeah, it's uh, a I mean it's a you know, pre internet too is cool. I mean it was a real it was like a breadcrumb trail, man. Like just finding little, yep. you didn't know what bands looked like. And, um, like I remember, I remember I was telling my friend the other day, it was like the first, it was like when lightning bolt had out that, like yeah, the yellow record, that first one. Mm -hmm. And I remember someone, you know, when I was just remembering when you, you, you kind of, there was so much room to like project onto bands. Like you didn't know what they looked like necessarily. You didn't know. And I remember someone telling me like, Oh yeah, the drummer. The drummer wears uh, the drummer's nuts, and then the bassist is like this really overweight Asian guy what? <laughs> that that plays with hockey gloves. And I was like, "Whoa, that's fucking nuts!" And then of course I went, and it was none of that was true. But yeah. uh, um, but <laughs> but you know, it was like that when you're like, you know, sending away for cat. Like I remember, uh, I also sent away. I was telling my friend recently how I sent away for a catalog from Stomachache. Like I didn't know that it was like a bootleg label and I sent a letter to that like fake Mexican address. 
because I think I heard that like church police seven inch or something, and I was like, oh man, this is. So I sent away, but uh, but part I don't know, you know, like part of part of it is all like that detective work and stuff that makes it so kind of interesting and like filling yeah. in the blanks and then finding out, oh, that's not a label in Mexico, you know, whatever, <laughs> like, um, yeah. So that 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 was definitely a a big part of like just figuring shit out. Yeah, yeah. Did you, uh, when did you start playing uh, guitar? Was it like when you were a kid or? No, well, I started playing guitar. Um, you know, I wanted to be a guitar. I was kind of started as like a frustrated guitarist because I wanted to play guitar, but all my friends had a band at which they had kind of started like before I met them and they were already two guitarists. So I need a bass player. So they needed a bass player. So it's kind of like, yeah, sure, play guitar and don't be in the band or play bass and be in the band. So uh, so I did have a guitar, um, but then but then bass kind of took over for years. And then I didn't really get back into it, like, seriously until I was, like, 23 or something. So, 20, yeah, 23. So kind of kind of not late but um you know like six years or something or seven yeah, yeah, years yeah. from from when i had initially had one and and that was kind of like what i wanted to do so i uh, yeah yeah my first instrument was bass just because my brother had one yeah exactly <laughs> I, I was uh, we, coming back to school and i wanted to i wanted to you know learn how to play something and uh i took his bass and his little 10 watt amp and brought it back to school and met a dude who played guitar and then We'd yeah for like a summer yeah 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 this was we we used to like i would save my lunch money you know i wouldn't eat and I'd save my lunch money and we all pitched in and got we got this like uh you know fender precision bass for like 250 bucks that's so a nice took, first bass yeah. it took a while but it was not yeah 250 it was cheap yeah yeah um but yeah i kind of learned how to i mean i taught myself chords and stuff like through kind of like early Dylan and like Hank Williams stuff. Cause it was just, you can really, you know, the, I mean, the Dylan stuff is, a, is more complicated when you are actually playing what he played and not just, but if you're just doing the chords and especially with Hank Williams, um, you know, you get to see how stuff's put together. So mm -hmm. it's like, they're kind of simple chords, but you get to see just how like the song structured. And so I kind of learned chords and stuff through that, but I, but then it was like, I was immediately play. It was like, everyone I played with was a drummer. So I, I kind of learned how to play guitar through playing with like John Trzinski. He was a drummer, but he also plays guitar, uh, Corsano. And so, um, that was kind of like, I kind of had to like hit the ground running to, you know, to like <laughs> learn, especially playing with Chris, you know, it's like, Oh, okay. How do I, how do you kind of like, just learning how to play rhythmically and how to fit in and how to um, like dealing, dealing with like a kind of rhythmic thing like that was always a part of it, but not in like a song context. So, yeah, yeah. and I think so, a lot of the prepared stuff came out of that. Okay. Like trying so to deal. You, when you were in a band, like when you were playing bass in a band, where, what was that? Just like rock bands or whatever like that? Or yeah. Like not high, not high school ish. Yeah. School? Yeah. Not like ACDC, but like, but like, uh, you know, what would you have called it at the time? Like, you know, space rock or whatever, you know, it's kind yeah, of, sure. 
I mean, we did a we did a VU cover, we did a Wire cover, so it was rock. But um, you know, we also there was this guy. I mean, this was mind blowing at the time to all of us that there was a label in our town called Fuzzy Box. Hmm. Um, and it was just when we found that out, it was just like we couldn't wrap our heads around it. I mean, it's such you know suburban new sprawl like the fact that there was a label there and it was this guy who um was a few years older than us in high school and i ended up playing with his band when i got out of high school um and he actually turned me on to like a lot of like kraut rock and you know like i remember here for the first time like here in Noy for the first time at his house stuff like that so I, I was really into like punk and hardcore but i wasn't really into like whatever the modern or current iteration of that scene was you know, those dudes all seem like kind of lunkheads and jocks to me, but I really liked the music and that energy. And, um, and, and then when I met this guy and heard all that shit, it was like just trying to figure out other ways to like get it, what that music made me feel, but not actually kind of playing that music, you know? Right. Right. Um, uh, when did you, when, when did the transition? So around 23, that's when you pick up guitar again. Yeah. Um, uh, do you start playing kind of prepared experimental guitar at that point? Or are you still doing like quote kind of, stuff or kind of both at the same time? Like okay. I started, uh, I had a band with uh, Jake McGinsky, oh, uh, yeah. J- John Trzinski. So they're both drummers. Um, and then this is in Jersey or no, this is up in mass. Okay. And this guy, Sean Matteo, who's a good friend of mine. He's like a sculptor and uh also a drummer so it was a band of three drummers so it was like no matter what they were playing that was kind of like they brought that you know to whatever they were playing um so i started playing with them and we would kind of trade off instruments a lot and that's why i was getting kind of more time on guitar and then we were kind of somewhere between doing like songs and like these you know kind of more long form like pieces that we were trying to just experiment with writing but then also got into like improvising and like trying to figure out what that was and how to do it. And, you know, so, so that's where some of the prepared stuff came out of too. Me and John, uh, me and John started kind of playing around with that. There was actually a, um, there was a store in town that was like a dollar store. And I remember we were in there one day and they had these just buckets of like metal files and stuff. And we had, you know, seeing people do that through rock, like Dogface Hermans and the X and, mm-hmm. you know, Sonic Youth, whatever, like, uh, you know, Unwound, you know, see people's jam shit in the strings. And we were like, oh, let's get this stuff and kind of mess with that. And and then we tried to start kind of like making our own, um, you know, kind of language with it. So I didn't know that, and, and we didn't really know there was a precedent for, you know, like AMM and like, Donald Miller and all that. I, I, we didn't, I didn't really know about that. We just saw this cheap shit that we could get in the shop and we're like, let's buy this and try to play around with it. Um, so I did, I did kind of like avoid hearing some of that stuff once it came into my like world, just cause I, I wanted to give myself space to like experiment with that and not worry if I was like doing something that had been done or sounded just like something or whatever. I just wanted to, allow myself to kind of steep in that and then later i you know did a deep dive on all that stuff but uh, yeah yeah the first but, thing i did with the bass when i came back from school that summer was jammed a 
butter knife into between the strings and started just wailing on it like that and playing it kind of like drums. I didn't know how to play drums either at the time. Yeah. I was just making this racket. And, um, and then I eventually learned, kind of learned how to play bass and was in, you know, kind of grungy rock band for through college. Right, right. Then it come back around to experimental music until after that. And then I was like, oh, <laughs> like, there's a whole slew of people who are doing that kind of crap, you know? Totally. Yeah. Um, and, and to, you know, to me, I, I wasn't kind of like, I wasn't really trying to deconstruct anything or like, it, it was just like, how do we get these sounds that we want to hear? And this was just kind of like the way to do it. But it always felt like still it was coming from, you know, rock in a way no matter even if it was noisy or whatever it still felt like it was coming from that kind of spirit to me mm-hmm. um, what how, how'd you land in uh, massachusetts like how, how'd you get there from jersey that was so sh- this guy's sean i was telling you about he uh we had lived in boston together um i lived up there for like two years and he was going to umass and he transferred to umass amherst and I went to San Francisco. I like moved out there on the bus um, with like, just like a bag of, bag of shirts. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember? It was like, they used to have that thing. If you ordered a Greyhound ticket, like a month in advance, you could go anywhere for like 60 bucks. Oh yeah. yeah. But I used to just go cross country on the bus and it was, I mean, awful in a way, but you can do, you know, I could do that shit then. But um, so I was out there and that was like, it was, I mean, it was, SF in 98 for me was great. Um, but it was like starting to get more expensive and it was kind of, I was just like following sublets around and Sean came out to stay with me for like a month and kind of talked to me and I had spent some time in Olympia. So it was like the first time that like living in a small town ever kind of appealed to me at all. I was like, Oh, I kind of like it up here. Um, so he was like, yeah, come back, you know, come back East. Um, and we'll start playing again, you know, cause I moved out there with just like some shirts and shit. I didn't have any instruments or I didn't really know what I was doing. So music was kind of like kind of on hold. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just kind of working and trying to figure out my life. Uh, so I went back East with him and if, at first I thought I had made the hugest mistake ever. But, um, cause that, you know, at first glance that area can just seem really like you're in like a just straight up college town, but it's, there's so much, more to it but um amherst or northampton but the whole area i mean yeah, okay to me it's all kind of one yeah you yeah. know one area greenfield deerfield northampton it's all just like a big kind of mm-hmm. network network of little towns um and then but it was just it was kind of an amazing time for me for me because it was like all these people had just moved there around the same time at once like there wasn't you know, there were, there were some people here and there and there was kind of like, um, you know, like new radiant storm King was there. There was still kind of like a part of that history of like dinosaur junior and pixies and all that stuff. But in terms of like what we were into, there wasn't really a lot of it. And then there was just a bunch of people that, you know, magic markers, you know, started there around the same time. Corsano had just moved there, um, cause of Hampshire. Um, Kim and Thurston moved there the same year I did. And then, you know, subsequently a lot of the kids that ended up going to Hampshire were booking so much cool shit. And it was just all this stuff at once. And um, for me, that was always part of like, 
reading about like kind of first wave hardcore and punk, just a lot of the regionalism of it. I always wanted to just be part of some thing like that, especially mm-hmm. in suburbia. That just seems so far off. The whole thing of suburbia is that you're just disconnected from everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was cool. And then, and then, and then Fat Worm of Era started, they were kind of like a big, cause they were like the first ones to like start a band there. There were a lot of like, you know, markers were around the same time too, but it was a lot of like, you know, duos, solos, improvising is like a big thing out there. And then Fat Worm started and they, they were just fucking amazing. Like right from the, right from the get. And that kind of really like raised the bar. I thought, um, this is uh what late nineties. I moved there in 99. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I'm trying to think of when like, so new like, was new going on at that point. Is that what it's yeah, called? Byron yeah, and, uh, Thurston's place. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, mostly Byron's place, but yeah, yeah, yeah. that was going on. They used uh, used to have like a little kind of area in the uh, Montague Book Mill, which was a cool spot. And then yeah, I think that's where I saw a show. We saw Lauren and Cheryl Amadeus play. Oh yeah, yeah. And who else? Uh, maybe Damon and Naomi, or they just happened to be there. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I think it might have just been Lauren and and Cheryl Amadeus. Oh yeah. I met both of them, th- those groups of people at that show. And yeah. Oh yeah. The shows at Yad were great. So good. I mean, God, that's, I don't know how he had, um, Sonny Murray did a quartet at UMass with Alan Silva. I can't remember the two other people and Byron had like a warm up gig the night before at Yad. And it was just, you know, 30 40 people at t- tops and you're in there with alan sylvan sending i mean it was just like for me you know being in your 20s and, and it was also when all that actual stuff started getting reissued oh yeah so it's all like you know to be able to hear all that like that was easily accessible and um yeah it was kind of just uh constantly mind opening yeah that store was incredible we were flipping through records and just me and john and Jason were just buying a huge stack of records. Yeah, yeah. Iron Iron would just get like psyched. He's like, "Oh wait, you need this too." Oh yeah, yeah. And, and then he would just like flip through what you bought, and he was like, dun, 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 dun. He's "Like, I don't know, 150 sound good." And we're like, <laughs> "Yeah, you sure? That's way too low, dude." <laughs> like, yeah, totally. <laughs> but He's he was just best. psyched, you know, what you were buying. I still remember like a bunch of the things I bought. You know, I oh yeah, pull yeah. them off the shelf. I'm like, oh, I bought it there, even if you know. Oh yeah, he's turned me on to so much. Uh... He turned me on to that Smash Chords record, which I didn't know about. And that, do you know that one? Uh, no, I don't that's, think so. That's a great one. Two guys just playing like kind of cheap Japanese guitars and real kind of like a Link Ray Rumble vibe, but like just so dirty and <laughs> it, it, no drums. It's great. Oh, yeah, check it out. Yeah, I remember buying like uh, Rita, Rita Ackerman stuff, not knowing oh, anything yeah. about it, but it was all like handmade covers and. The Sunny Explodes record. Probably some, probably some no-neck stuff. Yeah. Uh, yeah, just tons of stuff. Um, so you're... Uh, who who else is living there at that point that you start playing with? Was Corsano... Corsano was around there? Corsano was around there. He actually started... Um, fuck. I'm trying to think of how that... He's like one of those people I've known so long that I've like think that I've always known them and I forget how we met, but he actually, uh, 
so I had that quartet with John, Jake, and Sean, and then John had, I think him and John had uh, jammed a couple times. And then... Is there recordings of that, by the way, that quartet? Like, are there releases? No releases. I'd have to yeah, dig for that. But I do have a... We, we, so we started... Me, me, Chris, Pete Nolan, and John started jamming. And that we did one show that was called the stabs. <laughs> uh, and I do have a tape of that, that I, I should, I need to digitize. Release um, it. Maybe. I, I don't know. <laughs> we'll see how it is. My good friend here in town was Pete's college roommate. Oh, okay. And he has uh, and he has recordings of those two guys jamming. Oh yeah. Like, oh, release it. <laughs> yeah. I'm not, I can't yeah, remember. I got to clear a Pete. <laughs> I think it was one of those things. that was just like everyone cranked a 10 and then. Yeah. Yeah. Know, um, and then I think, and then out of that, Chris and I started, uh, started playing duo. Um, and then, yeah, I think, uh, like vampire belt or yeah. 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 And then I, I started the first time I met you. Yeah. Yeah. That's when you played in Rochester as that duo. Oh right? yeah. That was, that and was I, fun. yeah. And I saw Chris play a few times cause he came to town with, uh, Paul Flaherty a yeah. few times. I remember out of nowhere, he played this record store that, duo and nuge and i were like it was jammed and we were standing literally over his kit because it was so busy and we're watching him going what the fuck is this guy doing yeah, like, yeah. What? i'm looking at his hands and i'm like i don't understand what he's doing yeah yeah uh you know santa claus is over here ripping the guitar apart and it was yeah it was insane yeah yeah another great um <laughs> yeah then john and i started playing duo and that was uh we had this thing called xo4 that ended up being a trio with Jake, but that started as a duo. And that's kind of where the, a, a lot of the prepared stuff started. So that, I think we did a couple releases uh, just as a duo. And then we'll start it on a comp that our friend had done. So we just had been, you know, we had been working on this stuff and then someone asked us to do it. So we were like, okay. And then the name came from that show, the prisoner. Oh yeah. And I just liked how kind of, I love that show and I loved how like kind of obscure it was but that it had a connection uh to this thing and then and then that started as a trio with jake and we did like a few records and then the thing with chris kind of more like i mean that kind of morphed into all kind like i started playing with paul and then i would play with uh chris and paul and then i started playing and then you know i connected with steve out in buffalo um so then definitely playing prepared really came out of like trying to figure out how I wanted to like play with horns. Um, and I was playing and, you know, so lucky to like learn while playing with those two who were just so fucking good. Um, yeah. how, how did you and Steve hook up just like seeing each other somewhere? Or? Yeah. I mean, I knew, I knew him through, Cause they had done a tree. Uh, Chris and Paul did a trio with him. And then I was on tour with Metalux uh, doing mostly solo. And we played out there and I, I just was like, Hey, you want to do a duo? Oh, okay. And he, and he had a, you know, he plays baritone, but he had a bass saxophone on, on loan from the, from the school. So he, he played that too. What, what's the, I don't know that. What's bass the is like the huge. Oh, it's bigger than a baritone. Oh, it's enormous. Yeah. What? Yeah. <laughs> And uh, 
so that's how that came about. And then we started doing tours and recording. And then we did like a quintet thing with like uh, Chris and Paul and Dreadful. Mm-hmm. And then that, that kind of just all started brand, you know, Chris, then Paul and I did a, uh, duo records. And so that kind of just started branching out into like little combos and stuff. And then I was playing, and then I started doing stuff with Thurston in there. So he, you know, we would do trios with Paul and um, so yeah, just different, it kind of just like a crew that just, it just started breaking into different combinations. Yeah. Um, how did, uh, how did, so that's going like 2000s in the probably 2010s, yeah. right? Yeah, um, yeah. Bodyhead, how does Bodyhead occur? During well, Thur- Thurston and I had been doing a duo for years that was mostly just like local shows or like stuff down in New York. And, and then that would be the same thing. We do mostly duo, but then it'd be a trio with Chris or a trio with Paul or, you know. And then we started doing like local shows with um, – with Kim, like a trio, mm-hmm. which was really fun. We did like a handful of those. And, uh, but Kim, Kim and I had been playing in the basement just for fun. Like n- no plans for anything. We would just go down and play. We did, we played a, we did a couple trios of Sarah Jaffe, who I was, she used to live out there for a while. So I was, I used to play with her a lot from uh, Race Arata. Is she out in LA or? No, no, in Northampton. Oh, oh okay. Um, and she's like you were saying about Chris, man. She's just such a fucking good guitar. Like, I would watch her play, and I'd see, like, I'd watch her fingers, and I was still like, how is she getting the sound out of the, like, just, she was great to play with. Um, we used to play duo. We never really released anything. Um, and then I think Thurston found, like, a, because Kim used to, bring a tape deck down and just record us. And I think Thurston found this tape and he actually wrote Leslie Keffer and was like, Oh, I really like this new tape you sent. And she was like, Oh, you don't mind the, you don't mind the beats on it. And he was like, wait, wait. beats, what are you talking about? And he thought that it was a Leslie tape, but it was, it was us. So he's like, Oh, I want to put this out. So he actually put our first thing out. So we just came up with a name for it. Um, but again, not with much, you know, plan yeah, for anything. Yeah, yeah. And then, um, and then she got asked to do this show overseas and was like, do you want to come with me and do this gig? And that turned into a tour. And then we kind of became a band on tour, which was, you know, in one way I hear some of that early stuff or very early, like first tour. And I'm like, Oh man, like I, I it's not like there yet, but it was also like, I think it helped us develop really fast. Cause I think to kind of, you really figure out what works and what doesn't between you when you're playing in front of an audience. So it was just like, and you're playing almost every night too. Yeah. And just so throwing out ideas and it's condensing that all that yeah. time. Yeah. So I kind of loved it. I kind of loved like how immediate that was. And then just like, um, yeah. How kind of quick you figure out like, okay, this is, this is where we should go. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, that just kind of gained momentum um and then we just kept doing we did that first you know the first record we did a shit ton of touring on that um and then she moved out to LA and um we just try to do it as we can as we can as we get together we did that uh the switch 
And then we just finished one, a trio with Aaron Dillaway. Um, that's going to be out in the fall. Oh, that's a three loped, right? Yeah. Three loped. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm psyched. Yeah. I, I saw that that was the a combination. I was like, wow, it's a awesome combo that you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. It works kind of really seamlessly. Cause I think for me, at least with, with me and Kim, I think it works best when there's these, there's a few elements that are kind of really repeating and they start to kind of do this thing where they stack. Um, I, I remember drunkenly actually saying her at the show, like, Oh, we're kind of like plate spinners. And, and then I was like, I was wasted, but it made sense to me. And I was like, yeah, Dillaway's a plate spinner too. Um, and obviously that's what, what, that's a bit of what he does too, you know, to a, a, a even greater extent. Uh, and yeah, so it, it made sense. Um, and we've all known each other for, you know, forever. And I, I love that guy. Mm-hmm. Um, I love his music. Um, yeah. I think we're, we might try to do some shows on it if we can. Yeah. That'd be great. Jesus. Yeah. Um, how, uh, yeah. So you guys did a record, uh, with Michael Morley, right? It was like the Bobby oh, yeah, yeah. Gate thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, was that all you played together, right? Was that a, a show that you did or something? Yeah. That was all Byron. He, he had a thing at, 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 uh, Yad and we had just, uh, you know, I, before we did that first trip to Europe, we'd only played two shows. <laughs> so it was really like, you know, like jumping in the deep end um and yeah he set that up and we played to uh this Catherine briott movie uh a real young girl we played to like a clip of that slowed down and then and then yeah we just kind of sat on the tape for a while and byron wanted to do it so he put it up mm-hmm. it's, it's you know it's more like a doc like document than like a yeah, yeah record record per se but it was great i love i love michael we did one other gig with him in la yeah i kind of need to see those guys again i saw i went down to philly to see the dead sea when the last time they were in the states i think oh i wasn't here for that man i was on oh, tour yeah. i was like i couldn't believe it yeah yeah me and my buddy uh you've been to needle drop i think the record store in town i don't yeah. know i think you've been there so for russ sure. runs in and uh I'm like, dude, I got to And there's like, there's a few bands that I can get a pass from uh, the home, the home life here. Like, listen, I need to drive to New York to see a show. Yeah. Yeah. And the Dead Sea is one of those. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're like, yeah, yeah, I get it. So yeah, we drove to Philly. Um, and uh, you know what? Uh, Robin couldn't, Robbie Yates couldn't get into the States. It was, oh uh, yeah. Yeah. There was some, so they played as a duo with him uh, with like backing tracks of his, like on a, Oh yeah, yeah. You know, CD player in the corner. How'd it sound? Yeah. Oh, it was great. Yeah, it was. Yeah, awesome. they're great. Yeah, yeah. Of course, so yeah. good. I mean, it would have been greater. You know, it would have been better to see them playing yeah, live yeah. and stuff like that. But uh, and then, uh, yeah, and then Michael played here in town when him and Tom Carter did a, a tour. Oh yeah, we we intersected with them on that. We did we did a few bodyhead shows with. Uh, we did one with one with Tom one with uh michael and tom and then one with them as a duo yeah and th- those were really fun yeah 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 that was right around time i put out that i put out a split seven inch of theirs the two oh yeah 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 so uh when uh when did you start open mouth the label um i think around 2000 2003 2004 yeah did you do yeah. the label before that at all or a different one or anything or no no, all that stuff, you know, I mean, that was another thing that I think Northampton kind of allowed or for 
me uh, allowed me to do in that space was like I all that stuff always felt so far away to to me. Mm -hmm. And then it's just one of those light bulb things where you're like, yeah, of course, why why wouldn't I why wouldn't I do that? And and yeah, yeah and there was so much good stuff in Western Mass that wasn't like um being documented. So I wanted to do that and then just for my own, you know, just for myself. So I started doing it as like cassettes. And I, I did put out some stuff that wasn't from Western Mass at first and then it and then it kind of became more strictly just kind of Western Mass or stuff that I was on as well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But um yeah, it's still still limping along. <laughs> I, I I love doing More than it. Limping along. Yeah. <laughs> Those things come out, I don't even notice it, and then I'm like, ah, oh, goddamn it, it's sold out already. Oh man, just write I'm me. Like I somehow miss your things and then they come out and Oh, just write me, man. Yeah, the first record was um this guy Diagram A who who lived in the area. <clears throat> and he'd been doing stuff for years. Um like cassettes. He had this great label called Sound Probe that was, you know, kind of similar to like early American tape stuff. It was all like super handmade packages and, um, but he'd never done vinyl. And that was kind of the first thing I was like, why don't, you know, why don't we, we have to do a record for him. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's kind of just how it started. And then I have this, like within it, there's like this live series I do sometimes where it's, it's either like if it's a combo of people that I feel like would never happen again, or if it's like, um, a show that I just thought was really good or, you know, whatever, I'll, I'll put that out. And it's kind of just supposed to look like kind of like, you know, bootleg style. Mm -hmm. um, or like I did one with me and Twig and that was cause like, you know, I think you normally see Twig in like a band context, but he's a, such a good improviser and which is, you know, the series is mostly improvised stuff. So I kind of wanted to, you know, um, just have something with him more in that context because he's such a great improviser and listener. And it was also the first, we had been doing like a couple duo tours and I thought it was the first, you know, we had a, we had some that was like kind of hit, you know, they were, I thought they were good and they worked and it was like, but it was a little more like him doing his thing and me doing my thing. And, and then there was one um, in Lexington where I felt like it started to become more of like a kind of band thing and a little more cohesive. Mm -hmm. So those things like, even if the, maybe the recording's not that great, if I feel like something kind of happened, you know, like that, then I'll put those out. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's occasional, but. What, uh, you're back in Philly now, right? Yeah. Yeah. I've been here for like four years. Okay. Yeah. What, uh, just felt like moving again and. Not really, but. <laughs> I mean, I'm old. Is it like after LA you came back to Philly or did you go back to Mass and I went back to Mass for a little bit after LA. Okay. You know, LA was like Kim went out. I wanted to keep working on the band. You know, I went out. It, I I don't know if it was ever like I'm gonna move here and stay here. It was kind of like a I'd been in Northampton for 18 years. You know, mm -hmm. and I love it there, but it's it, you know it's a, it starts it's already a small town and then it just gets smaller over time. So um so yeah, I went to LA came back to mass for like a year and then came down here. I just, I wanted to stay on the East coast. I didn't want to go to New York. Mm -hmm. um, you know, my family's here. So yeah, it just seemed like a good place to land. 
Yeah. Is uh, Samara Lebowski, is she in Philly still or? She's never been in Philly. Oh, I thought but she I lo- was a Philly person. But I love that you said that. Because <laughs> she's always ragging on Philly to me. No, she she grew up in Manhattan, man. She's she's like New York, like. Oh, okay. To the bone. For but, some reason, I thought she was part of the Philly contingent that, you know. No, pro- Marsha is. Mar- yeah. I mean, Marsha lives in New York, but Marsha's from Jersey. You oh, know, maybe that's, yeah. She used to live here on, was on Silpre. You know, there's that connection. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, because you did, I just recently got that, uh, the, is it a single-sided LP that you and Samara did? Oh, yeah, yeah. Right? My buddy is Leon a, did that in Rotterdam. Yeah, it was a live recording, yeah, from. Yeah. Yeah, um, that was, uh, what tour was, that was like, um, I think the first tour we did over in Europe, and that one, that one we actually had like a good multi-track recording of, so. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think I knew that uh, it's it's one of those things I'm like what that exists I'm like digging in discogs I'm like oh, I got to try to find that. How did uh how did you hook up with uh, Susan Alcorn? Um God. Another uh, she's man, she's like she's amazing. Um where's she based out of? Anyway. She's she's based out of Baltimore. Okay. Um I think that came out of like me and Chris had just been talking about playing with her off and on, and then we just did it. And so we set one up in, I think we did a couple in Baltimore. And then she came up here and we did one in Philly. And I put that one out because it was a really good recording and I was really happy with the set. Mm-hmm. But I love playing with her. She's really, she'll just, she'll go with you. She'll just go with you wherever, like wherever, wherever the music goes, she'll like, she'll go there and She's so um, she's so masterful with like how she plays, and I, I really I really love playing with her. I want to now that this shit's over, I would like to uh, set up some gigs with her. Yeah, she I I didn't know I don't think I knew anything about her until it was before before your record with her came out. She played a solo show at the Bop Shop here in town. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've ever been there or not. Jazz primarily jazz, but they have a ton of vinyl. It's just huge. Um, store and they do shows kind of in the back of the store and um the owner kind of told me he's like oh you will dig what she does and yeah it was amazing like yeah she's i i did not expect it you know he's like oh she plays like lap steel i'm like all right cool you know and then yeah she started doing the stuff i'm like wow like not, not yeah she's so yeah. yeah she she did a great record on on uh this label relative pitch that uh my buddy kevin does in uh, Jersey where a lot of it are like Astor Piazzolla covers, you know, like the accordion player and beautiful, beautiful record. Uh, so what do you, uh, are you starting to plan things as things are opening up or slowly? Um, I'm, you know, I did, I did my first, uh, I put out my first like kind of full like solo record last year. Um, so I'm going to start recording another one in August. I was supposed to start recording it in February, but I got COVID. Oh, did you? Yeah, which was really sucked. So I had to postpone that. Um, and I'm working on some uh, kind of through the mail collab with uh, Chick White, which is kind of cool because I never did much mail collab. You know, the first, uh, like me, Dylan, and Karen, uh, Dylan Nyokas and Karen Constance, we had a trio called Ceylon Mange, and we would do stuff via the mail, but. And I, I liked it. 
with because I used to live over there and I lived with them. I loved them, but it, it was as much to do with the music as like a way for us to keep in touch. Mm-hmm. But ideally, it just like isn't my favorite way to make music. But um, the thing with Chick has been like the just the way it works. It's been cool. We did like a seven inch, and then we're working on a record now. And yeah, for I don't know if it's the instrumentation or what it is, but for or if or if it's just um, pandemic just being good timing for for a project like that, but it's been kind of interesting. It's like a different way to work. It's a different way to approach things. Mm-hmm. The, um, <clears throat> the stuff from uh, Dylan and Karen, did they send you like both of their pieces together? So you were, you were like Dylan uh, and Karen interacting the, with them as a unit or was it separate? The record, the record we did was the other way I sent them. So the thing with chick is like us more back and forth. Like, yeah. But this, the record I did with, um, with them was no i sent them like you know 40 minutes of like really skeletal kind of stuff kind of how it is on the record and then they added a bunch of shit okay um so they they kind of had like final mix and like um yeah it it ended it ended on their end (laughs) but i'm really i'm you're putting it on them i'm happy with how it came out (laughs) Yeah, we just did a trio I have, even in town, because we weren't hanging out because of COVID. Uh, uh, me and two friends who we have a trio with, we did this idea where we had permutations. So we each started multiple songs and then started trading files in the particular order. Uh, and then the last person got to mix it. So they got to oh, cool. edit it. Hell they, yeah. could, they could drop somebody completely from a, a, a song if they wanted to. Uh, but that was actually a lot of fun, yeah. Because sometimes I've done those over the over the years, you know. With um, I've done like collaborations with uh, Cinder Berga and Anthony Milton, uh, where we just send them back, and we really, I don't know if we really go back and forth. It's usually like once, you know. Yeah. Um, just yeah, you, you're just gonna be adding too much and stuff. Totally. I usually, and that's what I usually really prefer to be in the room with someone, and and yeah. But I also think the thing with the especially with jaw harp is like, I met who knows, but I imagine, especially in like a live setting, it would be so, I could see it posing some problems like just volume yeah, and us hearing each other and him not feeding back if the mics crank, you know, da, 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 da. So it's cool to be able to like kind of dig into all the, there's so much texture in what he's doing. Um, so it's cool to kind of be able to dig into that and not have some of that get lost in like a live setting or, or, you know, because of amplification or whatever. Mm. Um, it's cool to kind of like get into like the, the like little bits of it. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'm not familiar with his stuff. I'm going to have to track him down too. Oh, track. Yeah. He, yeah. Um, <clears throat> a lot of jaw heart, but then he starts to mix in, um, you know, like a nose flute horn, you know, it's kind of like Steve, like anything that like can vibrate and you can <laughs> put in your mouth. That sounds gross, but uh, he'll make music with it. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's great. And a lot of like a lot of field recordings. Where's he from? He's up in Canada. Like I want to say, I want to say like North of Nova Scotia. Like I think he's really out there. Like in oh, the yeah. wilds, kind of. Yeah. He's kind of remote. Hmm. What uh, What have you been listening to lately? 
Anything particular? I ask people this all the time and they brain freeze. Uh, I always brain freeze. Yeah. yeah. Uh, honestly, <laughs> I've been on a real Jesus lizard kick who I always come back to. I mean, yeah. Li- liar and goat. Uh, you know, it's one of those like two of those records I get out, got into when I was younger and they just never age for me. Like they're always, I put them on and it's like, it's you like I'm here. Yeah. Yeah. It's just fucking. Yeah. The records after that, I kind of, I didn't keep around. I even sold them, but liar and goat. I listened to pretty regularly. Yeah. there. Yeah. Dwayne Dennison is just such a fucking great guitarist and he's super, he's just super like tasteful. There's like no fat. He kind of just does what like the song needs. He doesn't yeah. overplay. He's, he's uh, yeah, he's definitely one of my favorites. There's a cool um, YouTube video that he did on a uh, prepared guitar. Oh, really? It's yeah, it's short. It, it's the oddest thing I somehow came across on YouTube. Oh, killer. Uh, Send me that. I, I don't even know what I was watching. And uh, yeah, I'll try to find it. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's just great. He starts just putting some stuff in and showing how like just adding something little to a string can change the sound and then yeah. change how you play. And his slide uh, playing is fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. I, I played a gig with, um, with, uh, fuck what uh, the bassist, David Williams Sims. He had that solo bass thing called unfact. Oh, I don't know about that. I want to say it was him and Sarah Lipstate each did like solos. And, and then I played in a, yeah, I was just remembering this because I was in Jesus Lizard, but I, I, like, I didn't say a word to him because I was, I, I got a little like, uh, I, yeah, I got a little shy and was like, oh, and I was like, oh man, I probably came off like a dick. I played a show, I just didn't even say anything to him. I think I saw the um, Denson Kimmel trio once, but I never, I never saw Jesus Lizard live. Oh, fucking great! Yeah, yeah. I've watched videos and I'm like, I. Oh yeah, fucking. Even great. now, like David Yao is just insane. Yeah, they're great. He's still yeah. Still, still great. And I didn't uh, know. You know what he does for a living? Like day, day, day job. He's like he's a, a crazy graphic photo- designer. He's a crazy Photoshop dude. Like I had no idea. Daryl Norson. I was talking to Daryl Norson an interview I did at the beginning of this podcast, and he mentioned how yeah he he has uh yeah work on things that he's like yeah, oh he, really I, when I need like crazy stuff done in Photoshop I just like hey can you work on this and. Yeah, I'll just like crank it out like some like just real tedious kind of like Photoshop get in there. And... Yeah, just like yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, I don't know if you've ever you do Photoshop stuff or not, but there's like a billion ways to do anything in that. I'm t- man, I do I'm terrible. I do well, I do most of the art for my label. Yeah. And for as long as I could, I, what I would do was make it up you know, all in real time. The cup like do lay out the text, image, everything, you know, hold it and then scan it in. Oh, so you do it all on paper and then yeah. all paper. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then if needed, like maybe a friend would straighten text or something or, you know, whatever, but it was all done like that. And it's just that method has gotten harder and harder. And I just along the way have like, you know, my friend Rosalie, she'll help me with layout sometime or, the, um, you know, my, uh, Andrew Kesson used to help me. It's like, I need to just, get better at that shit because it's it's just ridiculous i can't uh you know it's like the band camp thing i'm trying to uh i'm trying to operate as if it's like still 1993 (laughs) and it's not uh but 
what's funny is like i i'll spend time trying to get something to look handmade and there's like a billion designers there doing that too like they try to make it look like it's all handmade on paper but they're doing it all in photoshop and you can kind of always tell get the shadow just right you can always (laughs) tell though i feel like you only can yeah no you can't you can't fake like just glue and dirt and all that you know that shit that happens when you're just doing something and you know on your work workspace (laughs) um I'm trying to think what else uh that you know that stooges brass band record no that's been cool uh it's like a it's like a new orleans like brass band i don't even think i don't even know if they know who the stooges are um it's so what they cool, covered just, they covered no just, no huh what <laughs> nothing to do nothing to do with oh, the stooges <laughs> it's just called stooges brass band um and this uh peter p peter eotvos i don't know how to say it um he's a composer he did the, but he did this one record called sequences of the wind that's really killer hmm. the other stuff's a little more just straight up kind of classical but he did this one record that's really kind of weird huh oh, yeah i gotta check that out so yeah, speaking, I'll, of, I'll you know, speaking of like chicago but not chicago well they did kind of live in chicago I've, I've been just obsessed with 33 again Oh yeah, I, I mean I, I love the records when they came out, and then I just started diving into them. Uh, they're a band I few months. They're a band I used to love seeing live, and then I would try to listen to it on record, and it just never like, you know. I think there's bands like that. Like once you see it live, like I think Lungfish is like that. Like once you see it live, the record is such a. It's not a fault of the record. It's not a negative it's tam- thing. It's, it's just, just tamer, right? Like the record's just such a fraction of what the live yeah. thing is that. Um, but yeah, they were a great live band. I mean, Jim White's just such a fantastic fucking drummer to watch. Yeah, play. I never. So, yeah, I haven't seen either of those bands, and I and I love both bands. So, maybe did you hear should... his record, uh, the double? It's Jim White and uh, Emmett Kelly. No. Oh, that's a that's a great record. It's really? like this kind. Of, oh, I gotta check it out. It's kind of minimalist in a way. It's kind of sounds like a Bo Diddley riff, just skipping. You know, and they Emmett just plays this. It's kind of repetitive, like kind of Bo Diddley-ish riff over and over. But then it's just like, especially all these like overtones start coming out. That's it, a killer record. I want to say it's on uh, uh, In the Red, maybe. Okay. And then I've been really digging uh, that band Mosquitoes in uh, from London. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, that shit's great. Yeah, I've been getting their various the LPs and EPs and 7 Inches to come out. Yeah, Yeah, everything's on 45 RPM. Yeah. Yeah, there's, an off, there's an offshoot band Comer. yeah that's uh, a great yeah. record yeah, yeah i think that yeah i've been yeah. ordering way too much from like discrete music oh dude i've been i uh, <laughs> re- restlessness mixed with pandemic and lockdown i've been <laughs> it's it's like i'm like do i have an issue yeah um when i was talking to the guys from Greymouth, uh mark anderson is like it, we were seeing who ordered from discrete more often going to opposite sides of the world yeah yeah because uh, he's over in japan but yeah it's it's kind of nuts that label is he he likened it to um oh damn it the place out of the uk that uh keenan david keenan ran volcanic tongue yeah volcanic tongue he oh, likened yeah. it to that like you know when those i mean you know force exposure is like the two but so gigantic that you're right. overwhelmed by thing. <laughs> but you know when an when an update comes out and you're like you know yeah, please. Yes, please. All yes, please. Stuff, yes, I'll yeah, take it. And, yeah, yeah, and, you know all the stuff that like other places aren't carrying and stuff like yeah. that. So all this like Swedish stuff, but 
four tabs open with different shopping carts full of stuff that you're like, should I do this or? I got that double LP comp, that Swedish thing. Have you seen this? Hold on. Mm-mm. This thing just—I just got it today in the mail. I don't know if you can see that. Oh yeah, I don't—I don't know anything about it. Yeah, me neither. Uh, <laughs> Trod, Trodgrass is on it, and that's the only band I know of. Oh okay. I don't—you know—I don't know a lot. I'm sure Sean knows more than half the. Band. How's he doing, man? Oh, he's good. Uh, tell him I said hi. Yeah, we are jamming. Uh, Pango got together a couple times now. Um, yeah, it was probably like a month or so ago. The three of us got together because Nuge was back home. He was down in Jersey. And then like the following week or two, the four of us got together. Yeah, it was great. Uh, tell him yeah. I said hi, man. I love those guys. Yeah, yeah. Any other projects you want to talk about? Or No, I mean, the, you know, the chick, the two, the, the things coming up are the um, – um, the trio at Dillaway. That's that, like getting press right now, or yeah, yeah, we got te- we got tests and approved tests and all, and then um, working on this collab with Chick, and then I have a, you know, that there was like a period of time where it was like for whatever re- a lot of the people I would play were was playing with were either in other projects that were kind of like their main projects, you know, like Chris Cooper and I had like a duo for years. But obviously, Fatworm was like kind of the main. So um, it was like kind of situations like that where a lot of people I played with had other kind of main things that were the focus, or or they just couldn't tour for whatever reason. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so there was a time where I kind of was touring uh, solo a lot, but I was just never like uh, I don't know for whatever you know recording solo is such a different kind of mindset, and at the time it wasn't really where my head was at. So I hadn't really, I would either record and I just never did anything with it or, or, you know, whatever, but I had done a couple tapes, solo tapes. And there was one that I kind of always came back to that I like still liked and thought it kind of held up. And so that, that, that's um, the next thing on the label is I'm reissuing that, but that's been at the plant since like October. Um, but I also thought it was just kind of cause that other, the first solo one I just did recently, this, this is like shorter. So I, I guess I considered it like an EP or something, but it's kind of like, you know, in my mind, it kind of felt like at the other end of the spectrum from the one I just did, you know, the newer ones more of like a, it kind of uses the studio more. There's a little more like post-production and stuff. And this is kind of the, other, this is like the raw kind of version that you can still kind of hear in there, but yeah. Um, and I thought, I just, you know, it's been years. I just kind of kept coming back to it. So I thought I'd, I thought I'd put it out. Of course, waiting this long is just like, so I'm just like, man, just ship it to the dumpster behind my house. I don't even, that's <laughs> just what's, like. What's the ETA on that? Do you have one or no? No. I mean, it was funny because it's been, it's been a long time. It's got to be soon. And they wrote me recently. and was like, hey, when, when did you, you know, when did you want this out by? Was there a date you were trying to hit? And I was like, so I gave them two dates and they were like, yeah, we can't hit those and we can't really guarantee a date. And I was like, why'd you ask? I was like, are you fucking with me? Like that kind of just puts us back to where we were before you asked me. So I was like, uh, yeah, cool. I get it. I get you guys are like, they have been great. And they're, you know, I mean, that was more just funny. Like what, 
Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's kind of funny that they ask, but it's like, yeah, it's like oh, you it actually doesn't matter. We were just yeah, yeah. Nice asking. <laughs> yeah, you hungry? Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I don't have anything to eat. It's like what the fuck? But uh, you know, it's not their fault. You know, every every plant's like that now. But uh, yeah. So yeah, that that's kind of the that's the next thing, and um, and then working on the solo thing, and yeah, before that, the I guess like the first year of the pandemic, the solo thing and the record with Graham were kind of like the two main records i put out yeah or i didn't even i didn't even put out the solo one uh drag city put that out but i put out the oh right that did pretty well right it seemed to get a lot of yeah it seemed to get a lot of press and stuff when it came out yeah it seemed like yeah i mean it got to more (laughs) places than i could have gotten it and it was nice to which was nice you know um but yeah i was i was really happy with it Mm -hmm. and the graham lampkin thing how did that happen like uh did you know him when he lived in because he lived in Mass Poughkeepsie? or Albany. Oh, Poughkeepsie, Poughkeepsie. right. He's yeah. back in the UK now, though, right? He's back in London, yeah. But I, yeah. I met him through Matt Crafting, who's like a really good friend of mine. Yeah. Um, and, and they had – they've recorded – I don't know if they released it, but they've recorded and they've been friends forever. And so I met, I met him through Crafting. And we would keep in touch, you know, here and there and trade stuff. And, but it was kind of like loose correspondence – and then mm-hmm. I ran, I ran into him at a couple festivals and we were like, Oh, we should, you know, do something. And then I was just over there. It ended up being kind of one of the, one of like the most enjoyable recording experiences I've had in, in recent memory. It was just really, um, you know, not, not to say any of the other, other ones weren't, but just strictly from my perspective, like, you know, sometimes you can, like it in really, a studio? Are you talking about like in a studio? Or it was like just a, at his house. Yeah. But a planned, yeah, a planned yeah. kind of schedule thing. But it yeah. really, it really felt like really improvising. Um, which isn't to say anything else I've done doesn't feel like that. Just for myself, sometimes, you know, I think for me, I, I like I've always, I want to stay in one spot and really know that I explored that spot and mm-hmm. and that sound and really know like I kind of rooted down and was like really explored that shit but you also you also don't want to like become like a cover band of of yourself you know and this was just like pretty much no electricity i mean no no amp no you know i played acoustic i played this 12 12 string you had but it was like i could barely tune it the strings were like you know three inches off the neck and so it's just weird shit like that where it's like yeah here we have a few tools and things to work with and we're gonna just improvise with that it just felt really it felt really freeing. I mean, I know that stuff can get a little, uh, you can get on the line of like, you're out in the woods rubbing two rocks together, but this just, it did feel like, it, it did feel like we were making music, but it was also, it was so loose. We would just record in like half hour chunks. And if we wanted to talk during that, we could, if we wanted to talk the whole time, we could, if we wanted to, you know, whatever happened. And we just would do chunks of those mm-hmm. and then go back and kind of like whittle that down. But it just felt like a real, like for me, it just kind of felt like I like hitting the reset button in a way, uh, which I feel like I, I needed to do. And, um, yeah, I'm really, I'm really happy with that one. It was yeah. a really cool. It was a really cool experience. Yeah. I dug, I mean, I, I was kind of surprised by the duo when it got announced and came out. Um, I know, you know, I know most of his stuff from shadow <laughs> ring and I had like, maybe one or two solo records. I've since gotten the solo, the solos box set, you know, that put out. 
I actually haven't even gotten all the way through it yet. Um, but I mainly knew him from Shadow Ring, you know, so right. I was like, well, that's kind of a weird, cool collaboration. But yeah, I really dig it. I, I kind of like the idea of like, uh, you know, that effed up 12 string guitar sort of probably forcing you to, you, you sort of forced to experiment because it's not something that plays like you're used to having your guitar play. Yeah, I mean, I, I play acoustic every day at home just to like practice and play. But yeah, this didn't, you know, it's a 12, you know, it's a 12, it was hard to tune. It was like one, one string would be in tune, one be a little off. Yeah. But to me, it's like, it, it's, I think that stuff can get a little goofy if you lean into it too much, but mm -hmm. it was just, I actually think what we got on the record was um, the kind of roughness of it really added, added something to it. Yeah. And it, it feels kind of like 3d to me in a way, it really feels like it's like one of those records. I like, I feel like all the, if, if there's any sounds happening in your environment as a listener, they kind of just become a part of the record in a way. Oh that's yeah. Not, sure. That's not really, um, like conflicting or disrupting mm -hmm. you know um which is cool I, I like that about it yeah <laughs> thanks so much for having me man yeah it was great great having you thanks for being on the podcast stuff like that yeah, thanks for having me you live again tell all the pango uh, guys i said hi too please yeah yeah and dude uh yeah if you have any inkling to uh come up this way and play live let us know yeah i'd love to yeah 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 hell yeah uh all right cool man well it was great talking to you all right joe yeah take care good, joe good seeing you Thanks so much, man. All right, bye. Peace. Hey, welcome back. Hope you enjoyed the interview. I want to thank Bill again for spending a little time uh, jabbering on with me. What you're hearing in the background here is uh, Body Head, his duo with Kim Gordon. We talked about that a little bit in the interview. Uh, this track called Take It Down from the self-titled i think it's the debut um they had a couple things come out in 2013 i think this came out before the matador lp came out this is on open mouth bill's label uh we started the show off before the interview with uh his duo with samara labelski it's on title track from their lp single-sided lp called live in brussels on berg polder and uh then we heard uh seven inch lathe cut collaboration he did with sandy ewan uh, untitled from a seven inch on post materialization music so we're gonna listen to body head a little bit more and then we're gonna listen to uh the seven inch he did with chick white that he talks about we're gonna listen to the a side called eel all parts <clears throat> after that uh, i'm gonna play an exclusive excerpt from a track coming from the forthcoming lp body dillaway head so it's body head collaborating with aaron dillaway and that's on the uh, three-lobed uh, LP that's coming out this fall. It's part of the 20th anniversary series. Uh, Corey had three-lobed, and Bill were super nice enough to share. Uh, well, they shared all of it with me, which I'm loving. Uh, but uh, they they they're letting me play an excerpt from one of the tracks from it as a little teaser for everybody. So I'm psyched about that. I want to thank those guys for doing that. So we're gonna listen to that. Then we're going to get into some other Bill Nace related things. I'll do another mic break later and give you the whole lowdown. But let's get to Body Head. Take it down right here on My Teeth Need Attention. Mm -hmm. 
welcome back. We're hearing right here is uh, Bill Nace, track called One, <clears throat> from his uh, LP called Both on Drag City. Before they heard Bill Nace and Chick White with a track from a 7-inch. The track was called Eel All Parts, and that was on uh, Open Mouth. Well, we're going to hear, uh, we're going to listen to this a little bit more and then we're going to hear after this is uh, the exclusive excerpt from a track on the forthcoming LP, Body Dillaway Head. And that's going to be on Three Lobed, part of the 20th anniversary series they're doing. Like I said earlier, Corey was kind enough to share the track with me. So I'm going to play that. It's called Going Down. And then we're going to end the show with a track from uh, Bill Nace and Graham Lampkin. From their LP, The Dishwashers, on Open Mouth. And we're going to listen to a track called Street Metals. Thanks again for tuning in. Uh, thanks again to Bill for doing the interview. It was a great time. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, I have an interview coming up next. Maybe next show. Next show might be a music show. Uh, but I do have an interview that I'm editing that I did with Chris Brokaw of Codeine Come... The New Year solo fame. So I'm going to be getting that out within the next week or two probably, so keep an eye out for that. And I have a few more interviews planned, so uh, yeah, just uh, keep up with it. Share uh, share the link and uh, rate and review us if you can on either Spotify, wherever you're listening to it, Spotify or Mixcloud or uh, Apple Podcasts. Share with your friends. And uh, go to MyTeethNeedAttention.com for links to all that stuff and Instagram and Patreon. So thanks again for listening and enjoy these last couple tracks. So like I said, this is a Bill Nace with one. And then up next is the excerpt from Body Dillaway Head and then Bill Nace and Graham Lampkin. All right. Uh, have a good time. Take care. And uh, we'll see you next time. All right. Bye.